Welcome to 9394, a music podcast with me, Travis Roy. How's it going today? I hope you're doing well. I'm really excited about this episode for two reasons. For one, I'm talking about Tom Waits in this episode, and he's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast. Even though Bone Machine came out in 92, I am going to get around to it eventually because I was listening to it a ton in 93. And of course, Black Rider came out in 1993. And the other reason I'm excited about this episode is because I've got my friend Chad Gibbons on. If you know Chad, then you love Chad. He is just an extremely warm, funny, genuine, charismatic guy and a very busy guy, uh, in part because of the work that he does and in part because, as I say, if you know him, you love him. So he's pulled in a lot of directions and he's currently living overseas, as we'll discuss. Uh, So I see him and talk to him a little less these days, but it's always a pleasure to do so. And so here we're going to talk about Black Rider together. And also, I've been making my introductions to these episodes kind of brief of late. I started out this thing kind of sharing a little bit more about myself. So since Black Rider is based on a play, I will tell you an early 90s story about myself being in a school play. I have a very, maybe not very obvious, but a fairly obvious scar dead center in my forehead like I'm fucking Dr. Manhattan. Because I am bald and I shave my head completely. I'm not blue and I wear, you know, pants. But still, uh, it's a fairly prominent scar, just like an indent. Because when I was 10 years old uh, in fifth grade, so this would have been 1990, I was in a school play called The Reluctant Dragon, of which I have very little recollection, other than the fact that uh, at one point I was sitting on the side of the stage and the stage was like positioned next to this piano. And I dropped my script. There's only so many lines the right foot had, uh, but, you know, I needed to learn them. And I reached over to just kind of bend down to grab the script from where it fell. And uh, just classic me, like I'm, I'm just a complete klutz with no sense of what exists in my body beyond my immediate field of vision. And I just nailed myself right in the middle of the forehead, like the corner of the piano and knocked myself completely unconscious and had to go to the hospital and stuff. And that's, that's that story about me in a play. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, now you know that about me. Here is me and Chad talking, Mr. Tom Waits. Hello. Hello. Hey. <laughs> All right. <laughs> can you hear me? Technology. Yes, sir. I can. Can you hear me? Uh, it's a miracle. Yes, I can hear you. Everything. I just came in and was like, test your speaker system setup. And I tested it and nothing worked. So I'm like, well, this is going to stink. But now I, I can hear everything. So I don't know what the test was all about. Excellent. You sound good. So great. Good. I thank you. You sound good too, Travis. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate Dulcet. that. <laughs> Mellifluous. That's what I shoot for when I'm not stumbling over my words. <laughs> it's a good combination. Yeah. What you drinking there? Uh, some kind of Lidl brand generic 
cola. Freeway cola. Freeway cola. You know, that sounds like something that you'd want to avoid, generally. <laughs> like, oh, I found this cola on the freeway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a freeway cola. Yeah, we used to call the surprise colas because you're not sure what you're going to get <laughs> when you're opening up that bottle of Mountain Dew that you found on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, Chad, welcome to the 9394 podcast. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. Always I start asking people how it is that we know one another. So how do we know each other, Chad? Well, we go way back, don't we? We do. We do. <laughs> <laughs> I think we probably would have met around 9394, come to think of it. Yeah. Because we went to the same high school, same middle school. Unlike your other guests, I didn't have a fond uh, first meeting of you, I think. <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to get into this. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to air these grievances at this time. I was a bit of a dick to you. You know, I got it coming. It's all water under the bridge. In fact, uh, honestly, of all the people, everybody was, uh, you know, is middle school, high school and uh, kids are kids. But um, yeah, you weren't bad. You weren't that bad. I could have been better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we all could have been better. Fair. Uh, but later in high school, let's say maybe around the year 97, 98, uh, we came to be close friends, fast friends, as yeah. they say. Once we became friends. Yeah. I remember distinctly there was a, I think I told this story before, so forgive me. We had another podcast at one point together. We did. Yeah. Not that long ago. The best film podcast with Chad and Travis. Right. It was critically acclaimed, uh, but short-lived. <laughs> All eight episodes were critically acclaimed by you and me and our families. <laughs> well, that's how you establish the cult following is that you have just the flash in the pan. <laughs> is that a Black Rider reference? Yeah, yeah. The flash pan hunter. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I saw you a couple months ago. We went to dinner and you were telling, yeah, tell the people the story you told me then. Uh, well, I don't know which story I was going to tell. Was I telling the story about when we kind of met and became friends? Yes. I had been kind of relentlessly, not relentlessly, but I was made fun of. I was a little kid, kept to myself, very antisocial in middle school and early high school. And there was this group of people that would make fun of me on a regular basis. And it was more like the group. It wasn't any individual. There was some individuals worse than others. But then in high school, I became friends with Jim Takis and Steve Laskowski, who were a grade older than me. It was like, I didn't have this weird history of like being this kind of nerdy, shy kid and uh, hung out at Jim's all the time. And then one time Jim was like, hey, I'm having a party at my place. Why don't you come over? I'm like, oh, great. Sounds like a blast. And come over to Jim's house, go into the basement. <laughs> <laughs> to your horror. It's like an absolute nightmare. Here's <laughs> the entire group of kids that have been making fun of me for the last five years of my life. And I'm like, is this a joke? Is my friendship with Jim had like a oh, like no. a terrible <laughs> joke to lead up to this moment where everybody's now going to, I don't know, who knows what's going to happen. But turns out it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I come down and everybody, it turns out this group didn't actually dislike me. They just kind of. Not at all. No. 
Yeah, yeah. We just made fun of everybody, to be honest. Just I mean, like, poked fun of everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, really, that's. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so through the course of this party, we had the same love of movies. We loved the same movies, and it turns out uh, we had the same sense of humor. And uh, from that moment on, it was almost like a complete one eighty from one day to the next, where I felt ostracized on one day. The next day in school, here now everybody's my friend. <laughs> and stayed that way. <laughs> yeah. And we've stayed that way for what well, it's been like 30 years now. Seriously. Or however long it's been. Immediately after high school, you and I and Steve Laskowski, who you mentioned, and our friend Eric Branstrom, we all started working at Blockbuster Video. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was really all over then because we would pretty much be together multiple shifts a week and staying up. We'd close the store together, then go to Jim's house and stay up till eight in the morning watching movies and playing video games and drinking soda. That's right. And then we'd yeah. wake up and do the same thing. We literally just, we lived together. We worked together. We slept together, <laughs> like slept, you know, in the same, well, I guess at Jim's house, I was basically living at Jim's house. At Jim's time. house. Yes. We all slept on the same couch together, like in a big dog pile, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, so yeah, times. I think after high school is when you and I really clicked. I think yeah, our friends group kind of merged and we were just hanging out all the time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One thing also that we clicked on pretty early was that at that time in my life, even as late as when we graduated high school, because we graduated high school in 98, Mule Variations came out in 99. And there was a long right. stretch between Black Rider and Mule Variations. And during that time, you know, me and Jim and Eric and a handful of other people I knew were listening to Tom Waits, but I didn't know many people hardly at all. It was a very small group of people. So whenever I met anyone in the world, it seemed at the time at that age, we're like, <laughs> you even know who Tom Waits is? I mean, he's like fucking megastar, but to me, you know, it's all new. Right. And so that you like Tom Waits too was also, you know, that was a bonding thing as well. That's true. And I, th I think Tom Waits is a good bonding. If someone likes Tom Waits, I'm pretty sure that I can get along with them well. It's a good like kind of litmus test for people in general. <laughs> Probably. If they're wearing like a fedora and like a vest and maybe have a corn cob oh. pipe and they're like they've gone full <laughs> full hipster then like I don't know, but <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. <laughs> There's some insufferable weights fans. <laughs> there is that end of the spectrum. There's insufferable fans with anything. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all really loved Tom Waits like a lot. And Tom Waits has always been my favorite. He's been my favorite for probably 30 years. Yeah. He's still my favorite. He probably always will be. I first listened to him. I was thinking about this. When did I first listen to Tom Waits? And it was on the way to Jim's one day. Okay. I was getting a ride from Aaron Reichert. Good old Aaron. And Aaron Reichert had a cassette tape of Frank's Wild Years. Okay. And I had never heard Tom Waits before. I'd never heard anything like Tom Waits before. Yeah. And he's playing it in his car as he was dropping me off at Jim's. And I said, what is this? What, what in the world are we listening to? Is this <laughs> right. a joke? And he said, no, no, this is a, there's a guy, he was a lounge singer. He got throat cancer. This is the story I heard. <laughs> he got throat cancer and uh, now his, his voice changed, <laughs> which was not true and is not true, <laughs> but his voice changed. And now he like just embraces this kind of carnival Barker persona and yeah. just puts out these really weird songs. And I was so fascinated by this that I immediately wanted to learn and hear all I could. But for years, I was under the assumption that this guy had throat cancer and was 
not long for this world. That's so funny. Did you hear this rumor? Mm. I heard it from a couple people. I never heard the rumor that he had throat cancer. I do remember being like 13, 14 years old and like actively worrying about him. Like he's in his fifties. <laughs> he's going to die soon. What will I do when he dies? So I do he's remember so old. <laughs> being that concerned about him, like that into him. But as far as I know, I've, I've read that he went on tour opening for Frank Zappa and Frank Zappa's fans hated him. And he claims oh. that he had to like shout down the crowd every night and that he like kind of fractured his vocal cords doing that. But honestly, I think that one thing that Tom Waits is best at is building his own mystique. I don't think that has yeah. anything to do with that. I think he's a big Howlin' Wolf fan. And uh, I think it was very much <laughs> yeah. an intentional kind of thing. Yeah, I can see that. Well, regardless, I, I had been so fascinated by this sound, kind of unique sound, yeah. unique voice. Yeah. And I've just been fascinated really ever since. That flies pan hunter sways with the wind, and his rifle is the sound of the morning. Each sulfurous bullet must have its own wit And each cartridge comes with a warning Beware of elaborate telescopic meat It will find its way back to the forest Oh, Willem can't wait to be piglet out and the briar is strangling the rosebud house. At that time, everything that Tom Waits did seemed so new to me. So I assumed it was all new to the world. And then like I got older, I'm like, oh, he's like hearkening back on so many themes and old tropes right. and like that kind of stuff. I got into Tom Waits through Bone Machine. Uh, when that came out, because, you know, uh, I Don't Want to Grow Up was a relatively successful radio hit. So I got yeah. into it through that. And I kind of like started working backwards almost immediately. And then he released Black Rider. And I was like, oh, okay, he's got a new album. Great. And uh, I was like, wholly unprepared for the abrupt shift. I mean, even for him, it's a divergence from his usual style because it is, of course, the music for a play. Do you remember how you got into this album? Yes. Like I said, I was a huge Tom Waits fan. Frank's Wild Years for me was the staple. Yeah. But Bone Machine too. Loved Bone Machine. I didn't get into Black Rider until 2000, maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe 2001. Yeah. I was working with Steve Laskowski at Title Insurance. My days were monotonous. Mm. I was sitting in a cubicle. In fact, when I first listened to Black Rider, I remember this. I was working for this construction company doing their construction draws, which just means, I don't even want to explain it. So it's too boring to even explain what it means. <laughs> yeah, please but stop. Basically, I would research property, see what was recorded against these properties every couple weeks. And there was never anything recorded against the properties at the county courthouse. And so I would just write no change for all these files. And I would do maybe 120, 200 files a day. And so my job consisted of literally sitting in a cubicle, writing the words, no change, hundreds of times oh my a God. day. And it was a psychologically, <laughs> I was in despair. <laughs> it's like cartoonishly bad. <laughs> it's, it's, it was existentially. No uh, change. Yeah. <laughs> Horrible. Uh, so Steve Laskowski had like a huge binder of CDs. Like you did. And every single Tom Waits album. 
Steve is also a legendary Tom Waits fan. Yeah, huge fan. And I would listen to Tom Waits at just every every album all day long. And the Black Rider, I'd never heard it before. And I listened to it. And I'm like, and I thought, what is this? But somehow, like the madness and and lunacy and insanity yeah. of that album helped me to stay sane. I would just play Black Rider all day long on repeat and <laughs> and somehow like these existential like feelings of dread and despair were like i don't know it was cathartic for me or something and i just liked this idea of i'm listening to these headphones in this sea of cubicles and people are coming up and asking me for the tps reports and the right. cover letters you know and asking how my weekend was and meanwhile, I'm just blaring this crazy carnival like <laughs> Satan music. <laughs> and somehow it kept me separate from the work I was doing. Yeah. And so for that, I have a special place in my heart for Black Rider. But I, I listened to it over and over the whole time I was doing construction draws, just constant Black Rider. That's so funny to me because like I can see listening to it in an office sort of, but like working in construction. Wait construction job is the office job? Is it you were explaining that? Well, did you actually like work outside and stuff? No, it was only in a cubicle. I was researching okay. files for a construction company. Oh, okay. But so you could walk around saying, I worked this construction job, and everyone has like a vision of you in a hard hat and like rippling muscles <laughs> yeah, with a sledgehammer. Yeah. That's completely, yeah, that's not at all what I did. <laughs> I literally sat in a sea of cubicles eight hours, nine hours a day. That's all I did. It just sounds like the beginning of Incredibles, you know, like the whole, like just stuck in this dark yes. cubicle. Yes. It's all very monotonous and repetitive no change no change yeah. it's like brazil sounds like brazil we literally had you can ask steve laskowski this if anybody doubts me we had tps reports oh really i thought you were joking no we we had tps reports and when office space came out the character's last name is gibbons which is my <laughs> name and so all of this is in my head like going what is my life what am i doing here? but but the <laughs> the madness of this album really did get me through that time in my life Help ground you. That's awesome. Yeah. Were you able to decide what you think is the best song from this album? Okay. For me, as you said, this is not a typical album. So like already Tom Waits is a little bit formidable or impenetrable or yeah. esoteric. Yeah. And this is probably the most esoteric of his discography. Which says so much. I mean, that's including <laughs> Alice and Blood Money. and I think like, so. Yeah, you're right. This is probably his least accessible work. <laughs> at the time i wasn't sure what it was in the liner notes of the cd that steve had it says it was a play so that helped me out yeah and the internet wasn't even a thing it, well it was a thing at the time but it didn't have anything about it but i was able to find out that this is a play about a man who makes this deal with the devil for these magic bullets mm -hmm. and one of the magic bullets that he gets ends up shooting he shoots his wife with this magic bullet right that he gets from the devil and that's all i knew about it it's like germanic lore yeah, some Germanic folktale. Yeah. Waits teamed up with some avant-garde theater worker, Robert Wilson. I don't know anything about theater, but he's he, I know he's famous. famous in the yeah, theater world. Famous to yeah. those people, not to me. The same guy he did uh, Alice and mm -hmm. Blood Money mm -hmm. with, except it was uh, not called Blood Money. That was what the album was called. Yeah. But this was also very fascinating to me. And to me, it really heightened the album. I think you have to know. You have to come into this album knowing it's a play. Otherwise, it's going to be. I did not. I was 14, maybe years old, and uh, the internet did not exist, at least in a way that I could use it in 94. <laughs> so like, right. I was just like, what? what is this? I didn't know that it was a play for, I don't know, a decade or something. I didn't know for a long time. Yeah, that'd be really difficult. 
Yeah. It was fascinating to me because of the connection with William S. Burroughs. Yeah. So William S. Burroughs wrote this play. So there's a play about a guy who shoots his wife dead with a bullet he gets from Satan. Right. And it's written by William S. Burroughs, who was famous for actually shooting his wife in the head during a botched William Tell routine. He wrote some books too. He also wrote books. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's kind yeah. of a that's a pretty famous thing about William S. Burroughs. It's true. And heroin, of course, which he manages to make the bullets repeatedly comparing them to heroin yeah. throughout yeah. the work. So yeah, that, that's kind of the unifying theme almost is these bullets yeah. are akin to heroin. You asked about my favorite song. So this is building up to the answer of my favorite song. I assumed as much. <laughs> which kind of reveals kind of the plot of the play and the album. Yes. And it's the song Crossroads. Excellent. I love the song Crossroads. Now George is a good straight boy to begin with. There's bad blood in him some way, and he got into the magic bullets that lead straight to the devil's world. Just like marijuana leads to heroin. You think you can take them bullets and leave them, do you? Just save a few for your bad days? Well, well we all have those bad days, but we can't hear for shit. More than such a great story it's delivered so like gravelly and raw it's just a great weights sound mm-hmm. i think you can listen to it whether it's on the album or not mix it in with the rest of his work and it works perfectly fine uh the guitar work is great like you said the singing is great yeah. the lyrics are perfect and man i love that howl he has at the end he just belts it out that howl is the first thing i think of when you say the song name uh, I want to say that the lyrics were written by Burroughs, I think, on that one. Is that correct? Yeah. I listened to an interview with Waits, and he said it was a mix. Like, he okay. Waits had to kind of sprinkle in his own Waitsisms and tidy things up a bit from Burroughs. Yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah, I just love Crossroads. I, I love the – it just captures the message of the, the whole album in a song. And it comes out of nowhere. It's like all of a sudden you're in the old the Wild West and, like, some, like, <laughs> Sam Elliott characters talking about old George. <laughs> Old George got into some bad bullets. You were in a Russian dance a minute ago, and now you're in the Ennio uh, Morricone land. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And then we're going to hit some Irish ballad a little bit later. It's it's a weird mix. Right. Have you seen the play? He's all over the place. No, have you? Yeah, there's a version online oh. that you can watch. Okay. Uh, it's on YouTube. The only place I could see it's on YouTube. You're going to want to watch the one that says with subtitles, because it's like okay. it's half in German, half in English. And it premiered in Germany. Right. Actually, in 1990, it premiered. So this is actually, the music is before Bone Machine, but the album came out in 93. And it's real avant-garde or vanguard (laughs) theater. It's like German expressionist hailbacks, and it's a very strange watch, but it's entertaining. I mean, if you like The Black Rider, if you like Tom Waits, it's worth a couple hours of your time to watch it. I will check that out. I didn't even think to look on YouTube for it. Yeah, Crossroads is definitely, I think, one of the standout tracks on the album. Absolutely. There's some songs on this album that 
could only exist on this album and they feel like almost uh yeah interludes and that kind of thing and then as you say like this is one of the songs that you could pick up and plop down and do like a tom waits playlist and it would fit right in it's very right yeah it's it's solid for sure yeah that's the difficult one of the difficulties with this album is picking these songs because it's almost like a soundtrack do you know what i mean as you said there's yeah. the in, there's instrumentals you could use it as i think it would work great as a halloween party background music Ooh. You just have yeah. this plan <laughs> having a Halloween party. Like a lot of these instrumentals are so uncanny and just kind of horrific sounding. And on kind of the same theme, he's done a lot of acting in his time, but I think it would be really interesting to hear a score from him. He did a score for a Coppola film, One from the Heart. Yeah, One from the Heart, which sucks. Frankly, that's like, yeah. I think, probably the least yeah. good album from him if I had to pick one. I agree. I think that's kind of his, you know, before he gets into the Island Records. Well, you know what happened there? That was when he met Kathleen Brennan, who became his wife and writing partner. And everything really changed I... after that album um, because she is like the unsung hero of his entire career because she is clearly an incredibly talented writer, but she's not involved with this. She's not involved with Black Rider, which is, I think, the only, or one of the few albums anyway, the, to not have her touch on it after that point. I'm really glad you mentioned Kathleen Brennan because I think you're exactly right. She is definitely the unsung hero to Wade's career. And yeah. I was thinking about this too as I was listening to the album in preparation for this podcast again. You know, is this Tom Waits Unleashed? Does Kathleen Brennan like bring him to where because I love Tom Waits. Yeah. But I think maybe I love Tom Waits and Kathleen Brennan. I, I think love so too. Black Rider. Yeah. But this is not my favorite Waits album. No, I don't know that it's anyone's. Like, I, I love it. <laughs> right. I love it too. But I, I don't know that it's anyone's like top Waits album necessarily. That grounding influence yeah. that she has and that it's not like a conventionality to it. I think she just kind of like reins him in. Yeah. But that being said, as I've gotten older, Honestly, when I throw on Waits albums anymore, I throw on Closing Time, I throw on Heart Attack and Vine, oh. I throw on like old stuff. Oh, interesting. Yeah. If you had to pick a favorite Waits album, what would you choose? Um, if I have to pick a favorite Waits album, I have to go with what was the first one for me. So I'd still say Bone Machine. Oh, nice. Okay. That's yeah. great. What about you? Um, <laughs> it might be the same with me. My first three Frank's Wild Years. But I think when Mule Variations came out in 99, I mean, I listened to it constantly. And yeah. I think it, it might be Mule Variations for me at the end of the day. I love that album. Yeah, it's really special. So Black Rider is kind of like the forgotten stepchild a little bit of his <laughs> discography. It really is. But I'm glad that it came out in 94 because it's an interesting one for us to dive into. And I will say now for the podcast and for anyone listening... I actually do want to explore a bunch of Tom Waits albums on this podcast. I know it's 93, 94, but in those years, I was listening to pretty much the man's entire discography. So I'm pretty much open to talking about any Tom Waits album on this show. That's great. You know, Travis, you're the one who sets the rules. It's your podcast. This, this is true. I can do whatever the you fuck I want. You call it 93, 94. If someone says, hey, wait, that's not 93, 94. You say, it's my podcast. Yeah, it's 93, 94 to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a hard time picking my favorite song. From this album i really kind of went in thinking and have thought for years that my favorite song on the album is november i love mm -hmm. the vibe of it but like also listening to it in preparation for today i was like there's so much i don't agree with about these lyrics because i love november <laughs> <laughs> it's like my favorite month after october so <laughs> so i'm like it's still great but 
what I realized listening to the album is that when I walk around in my life for like decades, and if I'm just in the shower or in my car, and I'm just going to suddenly start shouting the lyrics to any random Tom Waits song, it's going to be Lucky Day. I'm going to start uh, off with Lucky yeah. Day every time. The prettiest girl. You know, I'm going to do it. I mean, I just, <laughs> my whole life, just like by myself yelling that in the car. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great. Yeah, it's funny that you didn't choose November because you personally like the month of November. <laughs> you, don't care. you don't care for the short trip it gets in that song. <laughs> don't disparage my second favorite month, Tom. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. You went too far with November. Uh, yeah, Lucky Day is great. I Yeah, I, I love Lucky Day. You know, the album starts with the Lucky Day Overture and him carnival barking. So it's got this weird carnival vibe, which you would think... Oh, Carnival Song. That's not going to be the strongest song on the album. That's going to be kooky, goofy, weirdo stuff. And instead, it's like this elating, like light almost celebration of going hobo. I think that this might be the quintessential Tom Waits album in a lot of ways because of that carnivalness, that circus music and darkness combined. And I think that that song is maybe like the quintessential song from the album. So I really think it might hold up as one of the most representative songs that Tom Waits ever did. I agree 100%. You could put that song on, it almost fits better, I think, on like Frank's Wild Years or something. Like, you know, the story of this guy down on his luck, you know, lost his money on a bad bet or something, you know, walking in the rain that missed the bus stop. But you know what? (laughs) I'll be back again, you know. Right. Lucky day. You tell the people back at home. Like, I love the the <laughs> spirit of that song. And I love, I think this is one of the reasons I love Tom Waits so much is when you listen to a Tom Waits song, it's not Tom Waits singing you the song himself. It's some character that Tom Waits has come up with and is embodying. And that character is singing the song with all their heart. And this is a common character in Tom Waits songs. This kind of yeah, down on his luck, walking around, but keeping his chin up. it took me a long time to understand that that was a character. I'm like, yeah, surely he just spends his time walking down train tracks with like a stick and a kerchief (laughs) made into a little sack to carry his stuff. That's probably how he lives his life. That's what he does. Certainly. He's not living in a suburb of California. (laughs) I think that's definitely the character he likes to embody, like in interviews and stuff like this guy's just crawled out of some train yard somewhere. And (laughs) he recorded this song in like some bathroom, like (laughs) broken down rest areas at the side of the road. Right. But you said you have a most underrated song. Okay. So what do you think is the most underrated song? So most underrated, I was going to give it to November. Mm -hmm. I was going to give it to just the right bullets because I I, Mm. I love just the right bullets. And I think that also works just well on its own. But Briar and the Rose. It's an Irish ballad. It's almost like a straight up Irish ballad. And it's Mm -hmm. so 
almost strange and out of place at first in this album. But I think this song also, it glues the whole thing together in a different kind of way. Because it's a song about love and it's a song about pain. Mm. And these two things, the Briar and the Rose, intertwine together. You can't take them apart. And when you try to take them apart, it just, it doesn't work. It tears your whole life apart. And mm. to try to cheat at life and remove these things, the Briar and the Rose, you know, the beauty right. from the, the pain is, I think you're playing in the devil's game when you try to do it. Somehow this intertwining of the Briar and the Rose is what, you know, life and, and love is kind of all about. And he says in there that, you know, your tears may fall so that love can grow. And mm. to try to deny that is somehow to deny both. It's really such a powerful song, a real simple lyrics, real simple melody. So I called it my most underrated. But then when I was looking at it, the song's been covered a bunch of times. Oh, has it? Yeah, it's been embraced by like the Irish people or something like they're Oh, <laughs> it's been your people. <laughs> yeah, it's been, yeah, my people really enjoy that kind of stuff. <laughs> we like pain. We like tears, pain and like, yeah, dealing with it. Romanticizing suffering. They're my people, too. <laughs> I know all about that. <laughs> it's right up my alley, man. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it's properly rated. I don't know if it's underrated, but it's a song I never hear anything about. But it's beautiful. Yeah. But apparently people do really enjoy it. I bet you there's covers of all of Wade's songs. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, maybe not every song on this album, but probably most of them. But, yeah, yeah. no, I think you make some really lovely points about that song. It's really poignant, especially lyrically. It's just... yeah. It drives home the theme of the whole album in a more subtle way than, say, Crossroads, which I do like better, admittedly, but that's very narrative-based. So much of this album is evoking these images, and often he's doing it like with the music itself, like the gospel train orchestra uh, interlude thing. Like oh, You can yeah. just like, see that train before <laughs> anything else happens. But Briar and the Rose, he does it uh, lyrically as well in, in, in a way of like, as soon as he says those lines together, you're like, oh, yes, the yin and the yang, I get it. Right, right, right. And you can see why someone would want to try to take him apart. Because like, okay, so in the play, Wilhelm is this mm -hmm. guy who is not a good hunter and he wants to marry right. the huntsman's daughter. So the huntsman says, well, you can't marry my daughter unless you prove yourself hunting. So he says, well, I can't hit anything. Couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Can't hit for shit. Well, the devil shows up. The Black Rider. So the name of the album is The Black Rider. That's the devil yeah. in the folk tale. The Black Rider comes up. He's called Pegleg in the play. So Pegleg, the oh, Black Rider. That makes sense now. Yeah. He, and Pegleg shows up in some of the lyrics here. But So yeah. Pegleg shows up and he says, well, I'll give you magic bullets. It'll hit whatever you want him to hit. But one of the bullets is mine. And so he gives him 60 yeah. magic bullets. And one of them's the devil's. You know, you wonder, uh, oh, it's like these folk tales. Like, why would anybody do that? Like, <laughs> just don't do it. You know, you don't know why you're making a deal with the devil. But then when you start talking about the drug connection that Burroughs yeah. brings in, and I think when you start talking about love and like what's important to you, it's like, well, I got 60 bullets. Just one of them's not going to work. You know, at, at what point, say it was 6 million bullets. Well, okay, I'll, I'll take my chances here. You know what I mean? 
Right. And I just like that. I love any folk tale where you got the devil involved. I just, I find it fascinating. I'm totally on board. And what's interesting about this play in the album is, in the play, the devil's the one telling the story. Yeah. It was probably written as like a morality play. Hey, don't mess around with the devil. But right. in this one, the devil's telling you the story. And he almost doesn't care. Like, he wants you to know that he's out there yeah. with his magic bullets. It's really fascinating. Yeah. I'm just like digesting what you said. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, and you're talking about still. Um, what song are you talking about? Well, you're not talking about just the I, right I, bullets, I used right? Briar and the Rose. I used Briar and the Rose as kind of a springboard to talk about it. But so Wilhelm wants to get this love that he can't get. Yeah. And here's an yeah. easy solution: just use these bullets, and you can get it. And he does. So he proves himself hunting. Great. I got the bullets. I can get the woman. Everything's happy. But he becomes dependent on these bullets. And now it's his right. wedding day. He needs to shoot one more. He used up all his bullets. And the devil says, here, I got one more left. And that's the one with the devil's name on it. He aims at a Roebuck stag or whatever. And yeah. the bullet goes wild and hits his wife. Right. And that's the end of the play. Wilhelm goes crazy. He sings Lucky Day. They drag him off to the insane asylum. Then the devil comes out, says thank you to the audience. Thanks for coming. Appreciate your time. <laughs> it's the last rose of summer. And everybody gets back into the devil's kind of box. Uh -huh. The box kind of floats away. The black box? The black box, yeah. Huh. Okay. Just the Right Bullets is another one like Crossroads that really lays down exactly what's happening. And that's where all those exactly. um, heroin references are being made. I really like when he's talking about how you know we all have these bad days. But the more you use the bullets, the more bad days you have without using the bullets. And that, of course, can be applied to so many things. Yeah. 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 Pretty soon it's the bullets or nothing. Kid, you're hooked. Heavy's lead. <laughs> if I had to pick an underrated song from this album, I actually had kind of a hard time picking my underrated song from this album. But I, I settled on the Black Rider itself. Come on along with the Black Rider. We'll have a Partly because, again, like I don't hear people talk about it much. I never thought very hard about it, I think. But one of the things I've always, and this gets back to your comment about Tom Waits' characters, he'll like adopt these voices at times, you know? And uh, like he'll just throw in a lisp or like, you know, some weird shrill thing that like, that's not how he ordinarily sings, but it's like specific to this song. And that's what he's doing right. with Black Rider. He's got this kind of like Germanic kind of yeah. accent and it's all very like trill and like, like there's like lunacy in behind what he's singing yeah. and how he's singing, it, but it's also like, yeah, it's, it's all like carnivalesque and over the top. And it's just like, he's having a great time. He's having a gay old time. Right. The devil in the song and Tom Waits singing it, like both having just a wonderful time. <laughs> singing this song come on on board and it sounds very alluring like i will go with the black rider i yeah, will sure. use your bullets come along like, may i use your skull for a bowl it just kind of throws that in there yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, uh, use your skull as a bowl you know may <laughs> like I? You he's do. nice about it <laughs> right <laughs> 
That's great. Yeah, I love that song too. It's oh, what's a strange accent? Is it? Yeah, is it French? Is it? It's like come on along with the black rider. It's fake European accent is yeah. what it is. Yeah. I follow him on social media and he's not really putting out a lot of work or anything these days. Yeah. But what he is doing is like, I don't know, once a month or so, he'll release a drawing that one of his sons made. And it's like an animated drawing of like something. And then he's the voice for it. And it's like 30 seconds of random gibberish. And usually he's like got some weird made up accent or he's making up a language. It's just like, here's 30 seconds of Tom Waits goofing off in his bathroom or something. I don't know. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Tom Waits not doing anything, I didn't realize this until the podcast was coming up, but they just released or remastered all of his Island records. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they just remastered him like a couple months ago. Oh, I know that they're re-releasing Bone Machine on vinyl this year for the 30th anniversary, which, which should have been last year, but whatever. Yeah, I think that's all part of it. So they did uh, Swordfish Trombones, Rain Dogs, Frank's Wild Years, Bone Machine, and Black Rider. All got a remaster this year. That must be what I was saying. It's not about the 30-year anniversary. It's about the Island Records. They're putting them out one at a time. So Black Rider is going to be out uh, October 6th the remaster so the timing is apropos that's awesome I'm definitely gonna get uh, bone machine that's for sure yeah on vinyl do you collect vinyl i do i do oh, I, I don't have a great setup for it uh as far as listening goes it's it's okay i spent years spending a lot of money on funko pops and all these stupid fucking hunks of plastic around my house and finally lately i've been like why what am i if i feel the need to collect something i'll collect the physical media of the most important albums in my life that seems like that's a more good logical thing to do than just compulsively spending eight dollars every time i walk by the toy aisle admire <laughs> i like those kind of collections where you get something else out of it like a movie or a soundtrack yeah, exactly because you, you can yeah. see it on the shelf or whatever but then you can also enjoy it for what it is yeah yeah exactly at the end of the day it's all still plastic <laughs> either way we're talking about plastic that's <laughs> <laughs> gonna outlive us for years or no, it's vinyl. It's not plastic. It's vinyl. Or what is vinyl? Is vinyl plastic? Is it? I believe vinyl is plastic. <laughs> so... For our episode, I gave you a different direction than I give my guests ordinarily. Usually I ask them to pick four different songs, but I asked you to pick five different songs because I also asked you to pick the weirdest song on the album. <laughs> What'd you settle on? Uh, it was more difficult than I imagined because it's an <laughs> album. There's several options we could we could go. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I think in the end, I had to go with Taint No Sin okay. as the weirdest. Taint no sin to take off your skin and dance around in your bones. It's a, just a spoken word. It's not Tom Waits. It's William S. Burroughs himself. The only music that he ever did, as far as I know. The music is... <laughs> I don't know if you could even call it music. Uh, and I, I don't like it. I, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's uh, like I said, it's not Tom Waits. It's just William S. Burroughs. I think it's a synthesizer. I think the rest of the, there's a lot of oh, oboe really? and like bass clarinets and weird instruments. Clanks and booms. Yeah. It sounds like a synthesizer, which I don't really uh. care for. And it sounds like someone just kind of like, like they're just hitting notes. And then William S. Burroughs is going, 
Take no sin to take off your skin and dance around in your bones. <laughs> Just completely like off, not like not at all singing well or trying to sing well. <laughs> yeah. No key to follow. You watch in the play and it just comes out of nowhere and it doesn't make sense in the play. There's no, <laughs> just, oh, really? they just really wanted to throw it into the play and the album. I can't figure out what it might mean. It's apparently like an old, like doo-wop song or something. What? It's a cover? Yeah. It's a cover of some like thirties song. Holy shit. When you talk about take no sin to take off your skin, it's like get into your bathing suit and go for a dip because it's hot outside. But well, okay. It's so creepy and weird. Walter Donaldson and Edgar Leslie wrote that song. You're right. They're from like 1910s to 1940s. I had no idea. Yeah. Very bizarre, <laughs> bizarre song. But we're not even getting that song. We're just getting William Burroughs kind of singing it. <laughs> Although I do use the phrase, taint no sin. Taint no sin to take off your skin. I have been known to complain that I can't get an ice cream cone when it's hot. Can't get an ice cream cone. <laughs> I, of course, considered that song to be my choice for weirdest. Oh, do you got a different one? I did end up going with a different one um, by a slim margin because I think that Taint No Sin is really obviously weird. Yeah. Uh, but I think that Oily Night is a little bit more subtly weird because it's not a short song. It's like five minutes of the same fucking, like the same beat yeah. over yeah. and over again, the same thing over and over again. And then like, I think Tom Waits' voice has been, you know, that's not natural. It's been, the, the octave's been no. dropped digitally or something. And it's just oily night, oily night, oily night, like over and over and over again. It's, it's, and it sounds so ominous and like creepy. Like it sounds like someone would be killed to it. Yeah. It's a freaky song, but I really love it at the same time. Oh, interesting. So I picked that as my weakest. That's my oh. weakest. <laughs> yeah, okay. For all the reasons you gave, except <laughs> <laughs> except it's so bizarre. In the play, that's when Wilhelm goes back to the devil, and it's kind of like seance, satanic. And it's evocative of that. Like, you didn't even have to see the play to know, like, yeah. <laughs> this is bad news. Whatever's happening here is no good. Yeah, I figured it was like leading up to the climax kind of thing. Yeah, it is. And it creeps me out, and I really hate that. <laughs> I really hate the way whatever that voice is says oily night. I hate that. It really gets disturbing. So I confess, when that comes on, I skip that. Five minutes of somebody going, oily night. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I don't know why. And I guess maybe that's the weird part is that like for me it works. I'm like, why does this work? This shouldn't work. And maybe it doesn't work for everyone. <laughs> for, for me, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, it that's doesn't fair. work in the way it's not supposed to work. It unsettles me, but it's supposed to unsettle me. Yeah. Well, you know, again, I had a hard time picking a least favorite song from this album. And I don't even know that this is super fair. But I feel like by the time The Last Rose of the Summer comes on, I'm kind of checked out mm. by that point. I feel like it feels a little bit like an addendum. Uh, I don't think it's a bad yeah. song. I just think it's kind of like, um, all right, we've got it. We're good. It, it's just kind of, yeah, it's not bad. It's not a bad song, but it's just, I don't know that it improves the album with its existence necessarily. Yeah. The structure of the album is strange in the way that it is because it has almost two introductions. It has the Lucky Day Overture where we're walking right. into this carnival and we're hearing about... <laughs> Jojo, the dog face boy, who once sat on <laughs> Rockefeller's lap or whatever. Uh, and then you get another intro. Right after the first intro, you get another intro with the Black Rider. 
Yeah. We're, now we're introduced again. And then the end yeah. of the album, there's like two outros. You got the Lucky Day, which is like a great, oh, what a, end the album right there. That's it. That's but it then you right have there. another outro. And yeah, I can, and then another I can one. see why. And then there's even another one. It's like the cast call or whatever at the end. But right. Yeah. You know, what's funny is in the play, if you watch the play, I've gained a respect for that song watching the play. Whatever version's on YouTube, the devil kind of comes out at the end and he kind of takes on this persona like he's really like charismatic and you really like the mm -hmm. guy and he's like, hey, thanks everybody for coming out. You know, really appreciate <laughs> it. We had a lot of fun tonight, didn't we? And everybody's like <laughs> along with him and laughing and yeah. he's just kind of singing that song and he's got the crowd right in his hands and it's, it's a really, really fascinating experience. When the last rose of summer And I think even if you just watched that end of the play and heard that song. No, I'm going to watch the whole thing. Like, absolutely. It would really help put that song where it should be. And if I can say, I I like the guy who does it. Well, I was going to say his version's almost better than the Tom Waits version. Oh, really? I like the Tom Waits version. And I, and I would only say that about this song in particular, The Last okay. Rose of Summer. But yeah, he really does a really fascinating job with it. So other people are singing the songs in the play. Yeah, yeah. It's not like playing Tom Waits over the loudspeakers. It's like being <laughs> right. performed live. Okay. Yeah, Tom Waits doesn't sing at all. So it's just the okay. characters, which is what's interesting. So this isn't really even a soundtrack because it's just Tom Waits singing all the different characters' yeah. songs himself. Yeah. Which he wrote, and that's fair. So it makes yeah, sense for him for to it. do it. Again, it's just the whole album is just such a weird experiment, but he definitely makes it work. <laughs> and The Last Rose of the Summer... It's not like I ever skip it or anything. It's just, you know, I just feel a little bit deflated by the time it comes on. I don't, I don't not respect it for the record. Right, right, right. Yeah, I can respect your res not respecting it. I respect you respecting my not respecting it, but I respect <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, you there you are. Well, there you <laughs> You respect it. So, yeah, you're right. So do you have any other memories attached to this album that you wanted to uh, jump into before we shifted gears a little bit? Uh, I think the big one that came back to me, because we talked together and, you know, for me in 93, 94, I had a different experience, I think, growing up and, and music wasn't really the, I didn't listen to all these albums. I don't know if I was sheltered. It just wasn't really ever a big part of my life. And uh -huh. when Tom Waits came along to me, it was a little bit after 93, 94. It may have been 94, 95, somewhere in there. But I just really latched on to him. And I don't know. I just wanted to say, I guess, that he's got me through a lot of times in my life. Black Rider in particular got me through a very specific part of my life. And I totally forgot about that, too, until as we were talking and I was saying, hey, you got this great podcast going. I love the podcast, by the way. Thank you. Can I do a Tom Waits album? And you're like, well, the only one that came out is Black Rider. And I was like, oh, and when I, I was like, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> but then when I listened to it, I thought, oh, wait, I love this. I love this. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I appreciate you bringing it back into my life and my albums that I listen to. That's awesome. And I think going back to your earlier point about how my friends and I were a little, we picked on you when we were kids or were rude at the very least. There's a lesson to be learned in the fact that I was going to school 
and thinking, oh, I'm such a weirdo. No one knows who Tom Waits is. Only I know who Tom Waits is and like one or two other friends. And like, you know, here I am like standing side by side you and not talking about the fact that we're both in love with the same artist. There's something to be said about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But look at us now. Who would have thought, Travis? Who would have thunk, huh? On on top Uh, of the world. Here we are. Together after all these years. (laughs) My hell snake back with Select and the blood from a pheasant, the bone from a tied to the branches of a robot stag. Together, all these years uh, over Zoom, which is how I've gotten used to seeing you the last few years. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no longer in America, so that that's what happens. I guess. Yeah, we're overseas now. We're in Germany. I'm living in Germany now, where this play was first performed. Except it was Hamburg. Yeah, tell Wilhelm I say hi. I will. There's several Wilhelms here that I could easily say hi to. <laughs> Just open the window and yell. There's probably one walking by. <laughs> Guten Tag, Wilhelm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> German gets that's a bad rep. The language is like you know it's usually made fun of as being like this harsh guttural, like I ain't going to decline, but right. That's just Hitler. Like as I go and listen to the German language being spoken, like in the streets and stuff, it's so beautiful. It's melodious. Yeah. It's hello. Hello. Dankeschön. Bitte. Guten Tag. Like <laughs> it's wonderful. Sounds wonderful. So I, I want to write the scales a little bit on the German language. You hear that, everybody? Listen to Chad about the German language. <laughs> <laughs> so what song would you want to use to go out on this episode with? Well, it's easy for me. And it's the one you already mentioned. It's the perfect go out song. It's the great go out song. It's Lucky Day. All right. Lucky Day. It's like a sea shanty almost. You can see someone waving as they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the perfect. It's built to be a go out song for a music podcast. So this works out perfectly for me. Sounds like a good plan. Let's do it. Are you listening to anything else these days? Uh, I'm doing a lot of audiobooks. And okay. audiobooks have been taking up a lot of my time. Oh, you know what? Uh. I just listened to, just finished listening to the audiobook of American Prometheus because I want to watch Oppa. Oh, what a great book. Oh, my God. Loved American Prometheus on your recommendation. Thank you, Travis. Um, oh, you're welcome. Yeah, we talked about it at our on our old podcast at some point. And yeah. I got to read the book first, but. I just finished up with American Prometheus. I was really happy with Oppenheimer and its relationship to the source material. I thought they did a really good job of plugging in dialogue into a book that really didn't have dialogue, you know, or yeah, not much. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like archival <laughs> material almost. But yeah, it's right. it, it was awesome. I loved it. So thanks for that recommendation. Um it's awesome. There was, you know, there's a lady that I've been listening to. Is it Sandra McCracken? <laughs> I don't know her well. Uh, yeah, Sandra McCracken. Huge fan. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan, but I heard one of her songs and I was like, oh, this lady's got a beautiful voice. And I've been listening to uh, Desire Like Dynamite, the album. She's a Christian artist and it's like a, but it's like a meditation on the book of Revelation almost. It's really oh. beautiful stuff, really powerful stuff. I think anybody would be able to enjoy it. But yeah, cool. besides audiobooks, that Sandra McCracken album. Right on. I'll shoot the moon. Right out of the sky for you, baby. I'll be the pennies on your eyes for you, baby. 
Are you ready for the final question of the episode, which is always something nostalgic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The, yeah, I forgot about this part. I love this part. Love this part of the show. <laughs> it's your turn to be this part of the show. Um, so ordinarily <laughs> at this point, I often pick things. I, you know, I ask about things that are highly relatable to any random listener. But sometimes I have someone on that I want to get real specific and in the weeds with about our personal history. <laughs> and so we mentioned that we work together at Blockbuster Video. Yes, that's right. I have a list here in front of me. I made a top five list okay. of the most memorable oddball people from Brighton <laughs> Blockbuster when we worked there. Okay. <laughs> I'd like for you to work with me here and let's talk about them. And okay. who are the first five that come to your mind? I bet that at least four of them are the same as what I got. Okay, so first of all, this is great. Uh, <laughs> you're talking about people that would, are you talking about customers, Blockbuster customers or employees or both? Both. Just the most okay. memorable oddballs that were customers <laughs> or employees from the era of our lives. Okay. So literally nobody's going to understand these except perhaps you and I and whoever we work with at Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, uh, death has got to be on that list. Yep. Yep. Death is 100% on my list. Tell the people okay. about death. So Death was a customer, a Blockbuster customer, had an account at Blockbuster. <laughs> she was an ancient woman who lived uh, hundreds and hundreds of years old. As she came into the store, this is very memorable because she was, she had the, uh, she had an odor about her that <laughs> seemed like, well, that's how she got the name Death. It seemed yeah. like she had died a couple decades ago, but was still renting movies at Blockbuster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and not to be cruel, because like we understand there's probably some sort of like issue there, like she wasn't being taken care of properly. It's it's sad, but yeah, it cannot be stressed enough. Like it was like getting punched in the face with an odor. Like she would walk in and from across the building you could like it, like customers would vomit, um, employees would vomit, like people <laughs> yeah. would like run away from her. It was it was really, really intense. It was bad. <laughs> Oh gosh, I was working with a guy. We call them BFSB, Big Features, Small Body. That's also on my list. We have is he another? Is he another? <laughs> <laughs> big head, small features. Yeah, yeah he's like that. Face, he's like the features. meme of the who's the right wing guy where they they shrink his eyeballs and his Charlie body. Kirk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked. It was like the real life that guy. And he was he was at work one day. Death comes in, and BFSB is working at the register. Death comes up. <laughs> He holds his hand to his mouth. He can't believe the smell. He looks over at me. I was the manager at the time. And he vomited through his hands all over oh. the place as Death was waiting for it to rent, like, whatever the latest uh, Antonio Banderas movie was. Uh, poor oh, Death. Was a poor, poor big face, small features. It was definitely a... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it was a memorable moment. Small features. So, okay, I just knocked out two on your list, right? Death and you, BF, you did. Big Face Small Features. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's what I remember. What were you calling them? BFSB? What were you calling them? Well, I think I got the acronym wrong. Big Face, okay. BF, Small, Small, FSF. Okay, Big. Right? And then B, we call BF, them Big Face Small Features? Yeah, BFSF. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. BSFS. <laughs> he looked like uh, the dude from right. The Head, that uh, MTV Oddities <laughs> show. <laughs> 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 oh gosh okay okay um uh, i'm i'm gonna say i considered him to my personal arch nemesis uh oh. who worked at blockbuster with us yes. a guy by the name I of know. matt marmalade 
couldn't remember his name. I have him written as the, it's kind of like Delta Sky Miles guy. <laughs> He's definitely yeah, on the list. Marmalade. How could I forget? <laughs> Matt Marmalade. Yeah. Yeah. He would sell Blockbuster rewards by comparing it to Delta Sky Miles and then try to explain Delta Sky Miles to somebody who's just trying to rent, you know, <laughs> crazy in Alabama. And he had big John Waters vibes, like in not a fun yeah. or creative way. Yeah. Yeah, he disliked us very much, mm. and he he made he made my life in particular kind of miserable. And he was kind of I don't know if he's listening to this. He was mean. Yeah, you're you're a mean dude, Matt Marmalade. So he worked. Was he volunteer like firefighter uh, or he's a yeah? He was like a fire like a volunteer like uh, EMS, I think. Yeah, but he swore if he came upon an accident scene, and yeah. Travis or I were one of the people in the accident, he wouldn't help us. That's we he, took that personally. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. He was weird on many levels. <laughs> Don't miss him. So he was also on the list? Yep. Okay. We're three for five so far. Okay. I'm going to say Lisa. <laughs> is Lisa on the list? <laughs> she is. Of course <laughs> oh, she man, is. Na- this woman once was, was it you that she asked? It? No, it was Steve. She was mopping the mopping the floors and just turned to him <laughs> and asked if he'd ever drank mop water before. And he's like, uh, no. <laughs> And then didn't she say she did? Yeah, yeah. I believe so she did. I don't know why she was hired at Blockbuster, but while we were working there, she went into a smoker's depot, which was down the road from us in Brighton. Yeah. Was upset about some kind of service that she got there. In a Blockbuster uniform at the time. In her Blockbuster uniform. Is this was this the end of her employment with Blockbuster? I believe so. I think did she poop her pants or did she poop on the floor of the smoker's depot? She- I want to say, I don't remember that part. I just remember that she went out and got in her car and drove 45 miles per hour, regardless of what was in front of her. Oh, that's what it was. The pooping on the floor was another incident with her. I can Yes, it was. Yeah. That, that was separate. I believe that she, yeah, she got her, in her car at like Blockbuster. <laughs> she got in her car like it was Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> <laughs> it went down Grand River, like bumping into cars. <laughs> Again, probably some issues, you know, I recognize that, but like to be working with someone who was that like, I mean, she was just unhinged. Very detached from reality. Yeah. 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 Eric and I would joke around that we would call her up sometimes to come in, like someone who was called off and be like, hey, Lisa, can you come in to work? And, you know, you would hear strange things happening in the background. We could only imagine like what is going on. And and wherever she lives, <laughs> what's he building in there? So it's like we would imagine that she would conjure up balls of energy and like float around. <laughs> a very mystical person. Uh, okay, so that's four. All right, we need one more. Uh, I was gonna say Ganondorf, but I, I don't think he would make the top five. Uh, Ganondorf was just a, for me. He was just a big dude that looked like Ganondorf. <laughs> the last oddball I have, and maybe you would have a different one, but I'll, I'll kind of lean you in that direction because you're already four for five. Okay. Uh, the last oddball I have, I'll give you a hint. We liked him very much, and he had yellow fingernails. Ah, Walt. Yeah, Walt. McGrecky. McGrecky. Yeah, yeah. Walt was a great guy, man. Yeah. He came in just reeking of cigar, cigar? tobacco smoke. Yeah. <laughs> and rent thousands of movies. He must have rented every movie in the goddamn store, and he would spend like an hour there every time, just sitting there chitting and chatting with us, and we loved him. I loved him. He Walt. was strange. He was pushing 80 or 90 at the time. He was a very, very old man. I'd be shocked if he was alive today. And he had some interesting stories. I think he was like a retired Navy guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. I think he'd fought in World War II, I want to say, or Korea. 
Yeah, really fascinating guy. And you could tell the tapes that had been rented by Walt because <laughs> they <laughs> they also had that distinct cigar smell. Yes. Yeah. Um, and again, he'd be there for like half a shift to just kind of like lean over the counter and we'd just be like, oh, hey, Walt, we'd take turns chatting and chatting with him and stuff. And so I don't mean to call him an oddball in a mean way, but he was he was not He's like memorable. the most normal person. Yeah, he was memorable. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love Walt. It's funny. We remember all these blockbuster customers so many years <laughs> later. Uh, that was blockbuster in its heyday. Yeah, that was right at his prime. That was like Titanic times. Yeah. (laughs) There was one guy that came in. I don't know his name. He only came in one time. He pulls up. Travis and I are working at Blockbuster. (laughs) Guy pulls up in a yellow, bright yellow Lamborghini Lamborghini? Corvette. Yeah, something something like that. He gets out. He's got a bright yellow shirt on. Maybe even yellow shorts. Goes around, opens the passenger side, out pops his daughter or some little girl, a bright yellow dress. And Travis and I don't say anything. We're just looking out the window, watching this guy approach Blockbuster. He wants to rent some and opens the door. And I hear Travis greet him and saying, yellow. And when you said yellow to the yellow man in the yellow car with his yellow daughter, I burst out laughing and had to tear out of the Blockbuster. I was laughing so hard. It was so perfect. Um, that is probably one of the more memorable, funny moments we had at that store. The other one being the time we got the giant Yoda figure in a big Yoda statue with that came in like this giant box. Yeah. When Phantom Menace came up. Yeah. You got into the box and I was wheeling you around the store on a dolly because the store was empty and then customers came in. So I just kind of like left you there and you just sat there for like, I don't know, 10 minutes while people started shopping and the store kind of started filling up. And finally you're like, I can't spend the whole day here. <laughs> just climbed out of the They've been milling around it like there's just been this dude in this box in the middle of the store. <laughs> yeah, you just left me. I was like, what? what's happening here? I had to go help customers. <laughs> as far as anybody knows, there's a big Yoda box sitting in the middle of the store with a guy in it. Who knows how long that guy's been there, but he just got out and started checking out people. And... <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of fun those days for uh stupid minimum wage kind of job, for sure. Yeah, good old times. Good times. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking about it with me, man. It was a lot of fun doing all this with you. And I love talking Tom Waits with you, man. I could do that all day. Oh, yeah. Anytime. If you're doing the Tom Waits discography or whatever you're going to do with the podcast, I'm looking forward to it. You're welcome back if you want to. Oh, I love it. Awesome. So don't cry for me, for I'm going. That was me and my great friend, Chad, talking all about Tom Waits. That's what you just heard. I don't know why I'm telling you that. You are clearly aware. One small sticking point as I was mixing that, I should mention that Tom Waits did do another movie score besides one from the heart that's actually pretty good. He did Night on Earth, the Jim Jarmusch movie. I'd like to thank Chad for coming on. Getting to talk with him about anything is always a lot of fun. And again, if you want to hear more of he and I talk, we had eight, maybe nine episodes of the podcast that we mentioned. The best film podcast with Chad and Travis. 
that's still available. I don't know that we'll ever record any new episodes, uh, but you can listen to those if you're interested. If you want to come on the show yourself, that would be awesome. You are very welcome to person listening. I'd love it if you did. You can email me at 9394podcast at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook or Threads, which I don't think has direct messaging, so I'm not really sure what function this thing is serving, but I'm on it. Whatever album you want to talk about from 93 and 94, let me know. Maybe, since you're a Tom Waits fan, maybe you're a Leonard Cohen fan. Live Cohen in 1994, which actually was the first Leonard Cohen album that I owned. So uh, I'd love to be able to talk about that with anybody that likes Leonard Cohen. Perhaps you. Or again, it could be whatever you want. I don't care. Just let me know. So yeah, we will stop there. I will make that the end of this podcast now. Um, Yeah. Thanks for joining us. It's always fun. Um, Yeah. Okay. That's it. Bye. Podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.